You're listening to the Britpop Show, sponsored by Creation Day Festival, playing the best and the rest of Britpop. Welcome to the Britpop Show. It's that time of the week where you get your regular 90s nostalgia. Now, this week we have the one and only Graham Swan, England's second best spinner ever. On the show, he's chosen all the music, including this by Shed7.
Getting Better by Shed 7, the opening track off their second album. What a great album. If you've got it on vinyl, if you haven't got it on vinyl, you need it for Christmas. Right, this week, we, I'm very excited to say that we have in the studio Graham Swan. Graham, are you there? Hello, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Very good. To, I'm very excited to have you here. It's a very exciting time for cricket. Before we go into that and all, everything that's going on about cricket, what were you? let's set the scene with the Britpop show. What were you doing in the 90s? Basically, in the 90s, I was... At big school, so um, senior school. And you know that age when you just suddenly discover music and everything's played as loud as it can. It grabs you by the nuts. And so that whole movement, the Britpop movement, that was me. I was banging in the middle of it, even as a little kid, Parker jacket on, uh, trying to walk like Liam Gallagher. But, yeah, nice one, sorted, mad for it and all that. It was just everything about that era. And it's still the music I listen to now, all the time in the car. It's the playlists I go to. Um, and it's, I honestly don't believe uh, in my lifetime there'll be another sort of movement like it. It's just amazing stuff. You've chosen the music this week, and I'm a, I'm a bit worried because you're co-hosting the show tonight. I'm a bit worried they might bring you in as the, as the host, every, <laughs> uh, host every time because uh, the, the set list that you've chosen is absolutely amazing. It's just brilliant. So were you at Nebworth? No. Well, see, Nebworth is one of those annoying things. I had a ticket for the Sunday. Um, and I wasn't that old. I was only about 14, 15, I reckon. But I had a game of cricket, a trial game that came through the post and I had to go to it. And I was, it still pains me to this day. Yeah. Um, and I'll always remember listening to it. It was on the radio. Do you remember on Radio 1? And I, they told I, Liam Gallagher not to swear. Well, and he opened up <laughs> dropping F-bombs left, right and centre. Yeah. So no, I wasn't there. You, you say, do I remember on the radio? No, I was, I was there. Yeah, I, I thought you might have been. I was there so, on, so you already went in. I was there on the Sunday, but just to let you know, it took me. We for gig finished about eleven. Took me till about four a.m. to get out of the car park. It was. It was. It was not. It was not the best experience after that. But I couldn't get to work the next day. <laughs> it doesn't really terrible. matter though, does it? You yeah, were there. Exactly. This is, this is it. This is history. This is history. Exactly. Right. Talking of history, it's an exciting time for cricket at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you, you well, got... yeah, exactly. We've won the World Cup, T20. We've won the 50-over World Cup. And all of a sudden, we're the best test team in the world as well. Um, and I'm very jealous that it's all happened sort of the generation after me. Um, but it's been a long time coming for the, uh, the test team. It's amazing. Ben Stokes, what he's done. Um, Baz McCullum was a coach. They're playing with... Uh, well, they've got like an indie rock and roll spirit to them, actually. They're playing. They don't care about anything. They just go out and it's all about having a good time and and just being as good as you can be. So it's amazing. Would you say that you were, oh, I'm going to throw it out there, would you say you're the originator of baseball? Because you used to go in and score fast at the end, didn't you? You used to go and swing the bat. I'm not saying I'm the originator, but I'm glad someone else has brought it up. <laughs> um, whenever, I, whenever I see Jimmy Anderson, I saw him the other week, and I said, I was doing this years ago. He said, yeah, but you were shit. Oh, sorry, you were rubbish. <laughs> no, sorry, you, you pardon the language. Well, just warn everyone, <laughs> they will be swearing in this interview, so feel free. <laughs> Yeah, so um, no, I just think it's it's refreshing. It's great to watch, and with red ball cricket, it could easily die out and get boring. Um, it's not going to happen under this regime, and it's brilliant to see. But you talk about Jimmy now. Jimmy was one of your mates, and I read somewhere him appearing in a towel in a hotel room during one of your interviews. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, like, I had this internet diary that I was doing, and we basically set up little skits all the time. So we were pretending. Um, that I was like, speaking to Cameron, he walked out of the shower with a towel on his head and one round it. And next to the bed, there was like a bottle of Vaseline <laughs> and stuff like that. It was all just stupid, like, tour humour. Yeah. But yeah, we're close. We're close. And what's his music like, music taste like? Brilliant. It's so good. I think that's one of the reasons we are very close. So he, he would love this set list. 
Um, he's a little bit younger than me, so he's more food fighters, white lies, things like that. Yeah. So don't get me wrong, brilliant white lies, especially amazing. Yeah. But um, yeah, he's, he's not quite as into the Oasis stuff as I am. Because Gary Neville, I remember Gary, reading something about Gary Neville, and Gary Neville was there was this thing going on about how Gary Neville had a, a really bad taste in music. And he was like, listen, I like Oasis, I like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I like Blur. He said, all these kids who are, who are listening to other stuff and saying my music taste is rubbish, it's not. Yeah. I'm listening to the real stuff. Well, I used to try and take over the CD player in the changing room, or by that stage it was uh, MP3s. And I always remember Stephen Finn, I gave him a chance. I said, go on, then you can take over, put a song on. And it was by someone called Chipmunk. And it was absolute tripe. I mean, I've never heard anything. So normally I'd let a whole song, I'll give him 25 seconds. I went rubbish and put the charlatans on instead. Quite right too. Now, just we we talk on a bit a bit more about the test squad. So we're currently in Pakistan and yeah. we've won two tests there ever. And then we win two in a week. Two on the bounce. And two games that, honestly, I don't think we'd have ever won in the past without uh, an attitude that, yeah, we might lose this game. Um, and we'll risk that and go all out to win. Um, I don't think we'd have, certainly the first test, we wouldn't have won that. And then the test today that just finished, um, most England teams in the past would have given up the ghost and thought this is slipped by us now. But they, because they keep winning, because they're so positive, they now believe they can win from any situation, which in the sports team is amazing. Well, eight out of nine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're back. We're, we're number one in the world and we're better than Australia again. So I'm so happy. Well, we've got the Ashes coming up. Yeah, we're going to win it. Trust me, you heard it here first. We're definitely winning the Ashes. All right. Now, this new guy, the new spinner, Abra. Now, I know you're commentating at the moment. Have you been told, first off, have you been told not to make any Abra puns? Like, oh, it's time to take a bra off. <laughs> no, well, it depends. if you're on the BBC, you can't say things like that. But if, you, if you're working for Pakistani TV and Indian TV, they don't, Really, it goes over the heads a little bit, but I'd, I'd like to think I'm grown up now and I stay away from the pure art humour. But of course, I do. Oh, right. You can't help it, can you? Well, I mean, you know, I've, I've dragged you there. So. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me about him. I mean, he's, 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 you know, the abracadabra. He's come out of nowhere, and he's, yeah, he's not. Just, I missed it this morning because I was, you know, trying to sleep. But apparently, he swung the bat as well. Yeah. Well, this happens especially in Pakistan and India, like because we're kind of out of it and we don't know what's going on in their domestic cricket, all of a sudden you turn up to play them and they'll have this wonder spinner out of nowhere. Sri Lanka do the same thing. A guy will turn up and they're called mystery spinners because genuinely you have no idea what they do when they let go of it. The grip's different than you're ever used to. Uh, what they're trying to do is different to anything you face growing up in England. Um, and so it, it, he's amazing. I've loved watching him. Bar. I've loved watching the way that um, the England team have tried to attack him though, rather than just be rabbits in headlights that they used to do when we went to India. Yeah. They've just said, no, no, he might get wickets, but we're going to take him down as well. So it's brilliant to watch. And do the batsmen genuinely watch the ball out of the spinner's hand? Uh, I, I'm the wrong man to ask, really, because I, I used to try and do that, but then would have no idea. So I'd always bluff it and go, yeah, definitely know which way this is going. And I've no idea, really. But it depends. It's weird. What time of the day you're batting makes it easier. Sometimes if the light's really good, in the middle of the day, you can see the ball on the way down towards you yeah. really clearly. But during uh, like the last couple of hours when it's getting a bit murky, you can't see it at all. It just looks like a blob coming at you. And that's when you have to actually pick it out of the hand, which is where proper batsmen 
actually look like batsmen and those bowlers look like absolute hackers. Just shut your eyes and swing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So we're here for music as well. And you've done a brilliant list and I'll take everybody through the list. But there's one that you said you absolutely had to had to hear. And that was Blue Tonic by the Blue Tones. Why is that? Yeah. Well, basically, um, when I was at school, like everyone was massive in Oasis or Blur and all that. But Blue Tones were just, I thought Blue Tonic was the best album. Oh, sorry, Expecting to Fly was the best album going. Oh, my dog's just joined me. My dog's here. He's called Bobby Robson. He's a massive indie rock and roll fan as well. Um, but yeah, and, and I just absolutely adore the Blue Tonic. I love the songwriting. I love the guitars. Um, and Blue Tonic, especially just for that one line in the middle, there's no heart you can't melt with a certain little smile. No challenge should be faced without a little charm and a lot of style. It's like, just live your life by that. It's a great little, um, great little line. And I actually, a couple of years ago for Christmas, I got Mark Morris um, to write it out. You could go online and pay to get the lyrics of your favourite song. Um, and he came back saying, is this D. Graham's one from England Cricket? And I was like, yeah. He went, oh, man, I, I can't believe I'm doing this for you. And I got him to write it out to put in the um, games room at home for the kids. I've lost it. I don't know where it's gone. It was rolled up, ready to be framed, and I've lost it. He's so probably, he's probably Mark, listening. you be listening. Well, yeah. I need it back. Yeah. I need it. I need another. I need another one. It's the best song ever. I I did a similar thing, but with a parting gesture. I think that song is just. It kills me every time. It's just so good. Yeah. But he didn't say to me, "Is that is this the David Marsden?" He just sent it. To me. <laughs> he might do now. He might do. He might do. Right. Let's have a bit of blue tonic, and then after that, we'll talk a bit more about cricket and about music. Hits from the nineteen nineties.
Only a fool wouldn't take the chance to stay the same. There's some classic lyrics in that. And I don't know whether you listen to it as well, Graham, but it gets me bumping in the studio all the time. Whenever that comes out, I'm like, yeah, loving this. Great first album. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, that was the album that um, knocked What's the Story off the off the top spot. Only for a week. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, this Generally is what, didn't know that. But... This is why you're here. You know, it's an education as well. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. No problem, no problem. Right, back to you. What, who's the best person you've played with or against on the cricket pitch? Uh, uh, um, Brian Lara is by far the best batsman I ever bowled at. I only bowled at him once in a first-class game when he got 100 and just made a mockery of all the bowlers, including me. Um, I'm glad he did it to the other bowlers as well. I'd have probably given the game up. It made me feel so bad. Um, so without a doubt, he's... I'm, I'm, incredible player but Jimmy Anderson even though um, everyone raves about him and he's still doing it and he's nearly 60 now he is without a doubt the best bowler we've ever produced um, he's a great mate of mine he's got a good taste in music so I've got to say Jimmy all the way who's the batsman you've always wanted to get out like a bit of needle he comes in and you think I want to get him <laughs> well they were normally always Australians, to be honest. Yeah, I thought they uh, would be. Those guys. But weirdly, it was actually an Aussie who was one of our really good mates, Mike Hussey, who um, I played with at Northamptonshire when he first came over as an overseas pro before he was famous for Australia. Um, and we ended up playing in our first Ashes together, or my first Ashes, in 2009. And he was playing there. And, and just before it all, like we had a chat on the phone. And he went, mate, I had a dream that I hit you for four at the Oval to win the Ashes for Australia. And I went, bullshit, mate. I'm going to get you out at the Oval to win the Ashes for England. And I did. Weirdly, it just so happened that I got him out. Um, and so there was no, never any needle with Huss. Um, but he was always, because it's your mate, when, you, when you're bowling against your mate, it gives that extra spice and you want to get him out. So I always enjoyed getting Mike out. I didn't do it very often because he's an amazing player. But when I did, it felt super sweet. Well, and that brings us to, we've had some questions in it. If anybody does have any questions, uh, it's at the Britpop Show on Twitter. We read a question from Mark who says, what are your recollections of taking the final wicket in the winning tests at Lords and the Oval in the 2009 Ashes? Well, that was it. So the, the Mike Hustle that was at the Oval, um, which is still one of my favourite things ever because that was my first Ashes and we won it. Um, and it's bizarre. After the game, like you walk around the field and they put a huge St. George's cross out on the outfield, they're playing like Royal Britannia and um, God Save the Queen over the over the tannoy and everything. There's like 25,000 Cockneys on their feet, all in Man United shirts. Um, and they're, and they're, it is the that most, lords. Sort of, yeah, no, yeah, it's the most ridiculous sort of um, like schoolboy dream come true for you. And I was walking around like my mum and dad and my then girlfriend, now wife, up in the stand. Um, and you honestly, you have to pinch yourself, you can't believe. That you're a part of it, um, and so I'll never, I still, I'm getting goosebumps now just thinking about that. The weird thing is, though, that when you stand up on the plinth afterwards, and you know that Ashes trophy comes out, that famous little urn that's tiny. I was desperate to get my hands on it. You know, such a piece of cricket in history. So I made sure it was right next to Andrew Strauss, the captain. And when he lifted it up, I swear, on the bottom I had a little sticker saying "Lord Shop four pounds ninety five. It was a replica. They don't even bring the real one out. It's too precious, apparently. I was gutted. So the best day of my life became an absolute crush by the end of it because it had been ruined by this stupid little replica trophy. Well, no one needs to know it. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, just... Imagine winning the World Cup and then you go to lift the trophy and it's like a, a plastic one. 
and, that's and, and it, it's that's so it light like. that you're like because the world cup yeah. <laughs> and you end up throwing it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or you drop it and everyone's like what and it, oh it's all right it's fine yeah. i've chipped it it's fine um, yeah. so we're talking about aussies now you can't talk about aussies without talking about sledging what were they like yes. at that? i mean obviously they're good at it well no they've got this reputation of being good at it but that was sort of in the older generations merv hughes and shane warren people like that to be honest in the modern day because all the players play with each other in franchises and stuff you know, everyone's sort of mates with everyone else. There's very few players who really wind people up. I mean, David Warner, obviously. I was about to say David up. Warner, come on. Yeah, but, you know, we had KP, they had David Warner. There's always someone that no one likes on both teams and they, they sort of just went at each other and everyone left them to it. Um, but no, I, as a bowler, as a spin bowler, I never got into sledging because there's nothing you can do. If a batsman hits you for six, what can you do? Swear at him question his parentage and they'll do the same the next ball you can't bowl him a bounce you can't physically hurt him you can just be made to look stupid so I never really said anything when I was bowling yeah. um, I, I, I used to enjoy it at slip and I'd, I'd never go personal and, and never go aggressive but I used to love taking the mick out of people just walk past them and go mate why have you changed your grip what have you done there um, and then at the end of the over, you see the batsman sort of when he thinks no one's looking, just looking at his grip, going, "What the fuck? What, what's good? So I used to love doing that. Yeah, and because because at the start of every Ashes series, I always send this thing round where it's a video of Mitchell Johnson talking to Jimmy as Jimmy's about to bowl, and he's going, "Why are you chirping, mate? You're not getting any wickets." And Jimmy runs down and yeah. bowls him. <laughs> and I do gets that, a wicket the next ball. Yeah, I do that every the start of every single Ashes tour. Just send that one out, yeah. just, just as a reminder that, that you know the needle's there. We like it. Yeah, it is. It's the true story behind that, though, we were getting absolutely hammered in that Test match. So at the time, like Jimmy did that, we go, "What are you doing that for, mate? We're getting stuffed to it." Oh, just I lost it. He's been an idiot. <laughs> yeah. But it is. I've seen that clip. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's superb. Now, Joe Root got to 50 test wickets today. Good lad. Right. So now, what do you feel about the fact that he has a better test figures than you do? What? Oh, yeah, he has as, he has as well. His best bowling. Five for um, eight. Against India, yeah. In 6.2, um, wonderful. Overs. You know what? I, I absolutely love Rooty, and I love the fact that when we used to play together, like sometimes you get in um, in a battle and in test match cricket it can take two or three hours and you're really struggling to get one guy out so you're trying to bowl at the other one and you're having this absolute running battle and then Joe would come on at the other end and get that guy out almost first or second ball every time he's got like a golden arm um, with his cheeky little grin and smiles ow I got him out you couldn't get him but I did how bad's that and, and he always used to make me like I love Joe to pieces I wish he'd never been captain because it weighed down on his batting and he's probably scored 15 less hundreds than he would have done had he just been allowed to be the best player we've ever produced. Um, but yeah, Joe, I love his bowling. Great lad. Because your, your best figures are, what, five for 44, is that right? Uh, no, there's a six in there. Some six for 70 or something like yeah, that. I but think five for 44. Yeah, yeah thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so do you reckon Root is our best batsman? Current I do, yeah. Batsman. Um, I mean, we've got some brilliant players coming through, but Root is the best one that I play with or against yeah. um, in that generation. It's just, even as a young lad, when he first came in the nets on an England tour, I'd never seen him back before for Yorkshire or anything like that. And he turned up from the first couple of balls I bowled him. I thought, this guy's mustard. Yeah. In fact, his first test match, I was batting with him and I was trying to nurse him to 100 on debut. So he was on about 70 and I kept saying, don't get out. Just keep batting because I, I promise I won't do anything stupid. I'll stay here all day for you. Um, and so I was blocking it, blocking it at one end. 
and got to 50. And then he ran down the wicket and got caught on bold. I'll never forgive him because I'd have probably got 100 as well that day. Yeah. Um, but there you go. Yeah, all me dogs buffing. It's all good. It's all good. What about ones for the future? For the future, I really like Ollie Pope. I really like watching him bat. I think he's going to score a lot of runs in the future. Um, and to be honest, this whole team at the minute, Ben Duckett's doing well. He's, a, he's playing for Nottingham these days, so he's a good lad. Um, Harry Brooks. I think, I think, yeah, Harry Brooks is amazing as well. I think all of them, this current team, because of the freedom they're allowed to play with and they're allowed to go out there and really just bat as if it's almost a, a club game, it's not even a test match. I think we're going to see records break all over the place for the next five or six years. Yeah. Well, right. So let's get back to the music, shall we? So um, you have chosen, I mean, this list is just great. I've picked, I've picked them basically at random. I could have picked any. I'll tell everybody at the end what this great set list is. But this one is Echo Belly, King of the Curve. Yes. Tell me about, Absolutely. Tell me about your love of Sonia. Uh, so at school, you know, everyone's got a, a schoolboy crush in the pinup. Sonia was mine without a doubt. Those big eyes, man. Oh my gosh. Um, and I just love this song. I love the way it builds up. I just it's proper catchy Britpop stuff, isn't it? Um and weirdly, about two years ago, I was I was taking the kids to school and Chris Evans, you know, but people can put two songs on, and someone put two Echo Belly songs on. And it was like, I didn't know anyone else knew these two songs. I can't remember anyone being as into it as I was. And and it was like a joyous 10 minutes with the kids looking bemused in the back. And who's this? Or this could have been Mummy if we'd met <laughs> before. Um, no, it's a great track, though. Absolutely brilliant. Well, let's have four minutes of joy, which is no doubt what you would have brought, Sonia. <laughs> and on your smart speaker, playing all the best songs. Stop. 
King of the Curb by Echo Belly, as chosen by Graham Swan, England cricketer. We had her on the show, Graham. I interviewed her. You're a lucky man. I know, right? But I asked her this question, and uh, and I asked all of the guests these, this question, and she came up with what I thought was the best answer. So I said, who's the most famous person on your phone? And she came up with Madonna. And so I said this to Simon Fowler of Ocean Colour Scene. I said, you're not going to beat that. You know, it's Madonna. No one beats that. And he said, well, I've got Muhammad Ali. And I was like, oh, well, you've beaten it. <laughs> <laughs> They're two big names, aren't they? <laughs> so I'm going to throw that same question to you. Try and beat Sonia. Um, well, I'm not going to beat either of them, I reckon. But in my mind, I've got someone better than both. Peter Beardsley. You're, How about that? You're in Newcastle. So one of the great, yeah, I am. One of the great things about playing cricket for England is you end up meeting your heroes as a kid in weird situations and playing golf. I've got Alan Shearer, Peter Beardsley, Rob Lee, half the Newcastle team who used to be on my bedroom wall. I mean, you need me to prove it now, don't you? Well, no, I don't. I don't. I, I believe you. But I'm going to ask you what you think about there. I have a question about this in a second from a, from a listener called yeah. Paul. But what do you think about Newcastle at the moment? What do you think about their run? Are they going to ever win the league? They will win the league. I reckon in the next few few years, they're going to be an absolute force. The way they were playing before the World Cup break, the, the run they were on, I reckon I'd have happily played anyone, especially at home, and, and thought we'd get at least a point, maybe three. Um, I hope they hit the ground running after the break as well because watching them has just been a joy. It's back to like the good old days when Keegan was in charge in the mid-90s because it's it's proper football. They're passing it around. They press like hell when they don't have the ball. Eddie Howe is a genius. Eddie, if you're a Britpop fan and you're listening, keep it going. Please never go and do the England job. Please. Well, Geordie for life, pal. It's handy as well because none of them are at the World Cup, are they? Because so um, they'll, have, they'll have had loads of... Uh, yeah, so there you go. Holiday. So the league's basically ours this year. You're right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the question is from Paul. He says, what are your views on the World Cup run? And he means football. You know, I, I watched it like everyone. Um, and I generally thought because none of the other teams were markedly better than England. And I just thought if we beat France, then we've got every chance of winning the whole thing. And it, it was such a way to go out on it. And Harry pumping one over the bar. Um, you could see what he was trying to do. He was going to go the same direction and he knew Loris was going to dive that way. He's going to put it in the top corner and he just did a Chris Waddle, um, which is, oh, I, I'm thinking about it afterwards. Yeah, he's always going to take the penalty, but after already scoring one, I'd have given it to someone else. Keep the keeper guessing. Person, I mean, that's I can say that afterwards, obviously, but I feel for him because he had a good World Cup as well and he's a brilliant player um, and he's got to live with that now and, uh, and I hope everyone just realises. I don't know. Harry Maguire. Because Harry Maguire's penalty in the Euro final is still the greatest penalty in a pressure situation anyone has ever taken. And if you don't remember it, go back and YouTube it. Top corner, top bins, as my little boy would say. Yeah. Absolute rocket. Unsavable penalty. Harry Maguire, best penalty I've ever seen. He would have been the most hated man on the planet if he'd gone up and missed it. Yeah, he would, but he already gets so much stick on online anyway. But if he scored it, I reckon he's done himself a world of good. Actually, he's always very good for England, yeah. playing with three at the back and wing backs. And so he, you know, he's got pace next to him, Carl Walker to cover him. He's a brilliant centre half. Um, he's just playing for the wrong club. Um, well, he's the playing smallest for, club playing in Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. We have, we've had a question in from Doug, and Doug says, "What's the closest you ha you've come to be to feeling like a rock star?" Now I know you're in a uh, band. Well, yeah, I was in a band, Doctor Comfort and the Lurid Revelations. So 
basically, so you know, we've all done it at some point, sat in a bar and you're all smashed. And, and you say, why didn't we ever start a band? Like, look what the Arctic Monkeys done. We should have done that. Um, and it just so happened, like, three of the guys who were there were all in bands previously. Um, and it was all guys loosely connected to Knox Cricket at the time. Anyway, the next day I got a phone call saying, guess what? I've got us a gig on Sunday. We're now a band. And we're called this. And I've told the bloke at the pub that we're shit hot. And we're, <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to sell out. And he's agreed that if we're good, he's going to buy us a new soundboard and everything. And we can basically have Sunday night floor fillers at his place. And so we had to go to a pub in Newark and rehearse. We got, I think we got four or five songs down pat. Um, and I was singing, and then we went and did it that Sunday, and just sang them all twice. But um, it helped that like, the drummer we had was unbelievable, the bassist was incredible, and then we had three three guitarists who could easily step into any band, and then me. Um, and basically, my my singing star, I'm a bit like Liam Gallagher, not the greatest vocalist, but a very good frontman. That's, that's what it's what all like about live, isn't it? No one's yeah. no one's there to absolutely. You know, it's all about the it's all about the live experience. So what what were you playing? Oh, uh, we we're just doing a load of covers. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, Primal Scream. Um, we we did a Bon Jovi song, I think, in that first one. Oh, um, God, they didn't do you any favors the on fall the vocals. It, yeah, um, the fall. Is it that? Hootie and the Blowfish, I think, came out. Oh, also, like, cigarettes and alcohol. We did that. Okay, I made a mess of that. Yeah. I tried to properly Liam Gallagher. It was too high for me. He sings too high for with someone with a deep voice, but it was brilliant. For, and so we did that for a while um, and had loads of gigs and they were so much fun to do. The Jam, that was my favourite though. Doing A Town Called Malice. That's a good song. Brilliant. I love doing that. That is a good song. That is a good song. Right. We're at the Britpop show and the, the biggest question that is always asked is, is that really Britpop? And one of yeah. the songs that you have chosen is a band that I think are Britpop, and everyone goes, they're not Britpop, Radiohead. Yes. And you've picked the bands. Well, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the whole album is brilliant. Think with Radiohead, because they were posh boys from Oxford, and it was like against everything that Britpop was. And Britpop was supposed to be working class, like, you know, lads with Parker jackets on and like not washing their hair and like getting the whole like teenagers going... So Radiohead were always sneered at because they were like university and ridiculously clever. And let's face it, a couple of their albums, a bit weird and a bit pretentious. But the Benz is not. The Benz is just absolute banger after banger. And guitar-wise, I mean, they're, they're amazing. If you're in the car and, the, and Radiohead come on and you don't absolutely crank it up, you're dead inside, I think. Well, it depends what album it is. If it's yes, after, exactly. If it's but after their the third album, then, yeah. you know, turn it off. Yeah. Question for you. OK Computer or The Benz, which are you? The Benz by Miles. I completely agree. Straight away. Completely Straight agree. away. I went to see Radio. They headlined a festival, one of the V festivals a long time ago. and it was, But it was after the 90s. So yeah. every third song was amazing. But then you had to put yes. on two songs that you'd never heard of that lasted about two, three Two hours. bits of dribble from yeah. Kid A or whatever, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, no, just and when I first started driving, um, the old CD player, and I had to change it one-handed while I was driving along, and it was always on the first page. So you know, like that raid, uh, the weird robot head sort of thing on the CD. Yeah, and I always remember it flicking over and sticking it on, um, and I just loved the whole album. So this was just, um, uh, you know, probably my favourite from the album. I do like. I've got to admit though, because this doesn't always go well. I do like Creep as well. 
the acu- live acoustic version of Creep, where he swears in it, is unbelievably good. Do yourself a favour. After this, not now, after this, watch on YouTube them doing Nobody Does It Better live. Nobody Does It Better by Radiohead live. Yeah. It's incredible. It's one of my favourite songs done by Radiohead. And it's, it's the kind of thing you think, well, Tom York's never going to do something like that. And he did. And it's yeah. just brilliant. I will. I'll take your word for it. All right. I'm well, on it. Don't take my word for it. Listen to it. In the meantime, we are going to listen to The Bends by Radiohead, chosen by Graham Swan. Questions are flooding in. We'll ask, ask some more. And he's got this brilliant set list. I'll share the rest of you after this. You're listening to The Britpop Show. Sponsored by Creation Day Festival. Playing the best and the rest of Britpop.
The words are coming out all weird. Was that a little bit like when you were doing your uh, covers band? <laughs> it was after six parts of Guinness, yeah. <laughs> right, we said we've got some more listener questions. Funnily, we often get questions from uh, people in America, but funnily, we've only had one from America this week. Um, must be they're not into okay. their cricket. I don't know, maybe. No. Who knows? Is that uh, like baseball? Yeah, baseball. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, so one from Nigel, and Nigel says, what was the origination of the sprinkler in Melbourne? The sprinkler, right. Well, this one, again, on that tour diary I had, where Jimmy was dressed in the towel, um, I can't remember exactly who it was, but we had a game rained off before the Ashes started, and it looked like we were going to have to field for 90 overs in the blazing hot Adelaide sun um, in a warm-up game, and it started banging it down after 10 minutes. And basically, by the time we left the field, we realised it was raining too heavy. We weren't going to play all day, so we got a day off. So I've never seen 11 happier human beings in my life. And someone put a stereo on, and people were just going around doing stupid dances. And I think it's Paul Collingwood um, said, oh, do you remember when we were in that club the other night? There's some lass doing that, that sprinkler dance. And he did like that, and we were all crying with laughter. And then when I did um, this diary, I went around. I was looking for content. Basically, I was way ahead of all these TikTokers and YouTubers. I was looking for content in 2010 um, and I just got everyone to do it and we put music to it. And then when we won, someone just said, right, go and do it in front of the Barmy Army. And so we did and it became famous. Um, so it's nothing to do with me. I just hijacked it from Paul Collingwood. That's always the best. Every, everybody's best joke is someone else's. Correct. Yes. It's just um, the way you tell it though, isn't it? Well, exactly. Uh, and Nigel also says he's in um, he's in LA and they do the uh, some... Uh, ashes in LA and so if you're ever out there apparently they've had some pretty famous people so no doubt perfect I'm all yours Nigel no doubt no doubt he's always Nigel's also in a in a, a very good band I'll let you know about that uh, afterwards now we've had a question from John what was your favorite place to tour and who was your who was the best roommate I know who the best roommate is well yeah so West Indies without a doubt because every time you play there, the sun shines, but there's a breeze. We got amazing English support at Traveló there. Um, by the time I played the West Indies, they were nowhere near the force that they'd been when there used to be four like, unbelievable pacemen who'd kill the tailenders and Brian Lara would get 300. Kurt, Kurt I timed my good, career well. Northampton lad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I timed my career really well. So West Indies had six left-handers, but none of them were Brian Lara. So, I really, but I used to love it over there. Everything it just felt honestly like you're on holiday for eight weeks. Whereas most places, um, you really did have days where you'd just be horribly homesick or stuck in a hotel. The food was terrible. You'd be ill. The West Indies, it's just like, well, let's meet by the pool and have another rum punch. It's great. It does sound a good. Sounds like a good job if you can get it. And my love of cricket comes from when my dad used to take me to Northamptonshire. He was a Northamptonshire fan. And we were there. You remember Rob Bailey and Duncan Warren? Yeah. That, yeah. Um, so we were there in the in the Rob Bailey era. And that's where my love of cricket came from. He's, yeah, great. Right. So next question. Favourite Ashes memory? Uh, well, that one I talked about earlier, that wicket at the Oval. And also when we won in Australia in 2010, because no team had done it for like 25 years. Um, and we absolutely outplayed them. And the best thing about that, we Boxing Day at the MCG, um, is like the greatest uh, sporting day in their calendar. So as a social thing, uh, the MCG holds 95,000 people. There were 20,000 uh, Barmy Army in, and we bowled first, bowled Australia out for 98, and then at the end of the day, we were 160 for none. 
I only bowled two overs in the day. I took one catch, bowled two overs, and it's still my favourite day's cricket that I played in. But the best thing about that, David Lloyd, you're talking about sledging earlier, David Lloyd, the Sky commentator, came out with the greatest line ever. Because by the end of the day, all the Aussies had, had left the stadium while the game was still going on. And David Lloyd went, oh, look, it, it must be fancy dress day here at the MCG. 75,000 Aussies have come as empty seats. And, <laughs> and I still remember listening to that crying with laughter. So Bumble, massive shout out to you if you're listening. Well, we haven't talked about sandpaper. I don't know why. Well, I know. Poor old Shavy Davey. I know. Everyone says they should forgive him now because um, they, they just took ball tampering to a new level, didn't they? I'm all about innovators in the game, but I think that's just going a step too far. <laughs> right. Question for you. Winning an Ashes series or winning a World Cup? Ashes, without a doubt. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a purist. I love test cricket and always will do. So winning an Ashes series over five games of five days each. And it's hard, proper hard work to win a test match. Whereas one day cricket, it can all go, you can have a good 10 minutes and win a game from there or a bad 10 and lose it. Um, you never have to think about something out. They just try and slog you and get caught. I, I mean, I like one day, I like T20 cricket. It's a great spectacle, but Ashes cricket, test matches always. So yeah, winning the Ashes. I was lucky enough to do it three times, which not many people will ever be able to, to, to say. So I feel very fortunate about that. And didn't you, you took a couple of wickets in your first over, didn't you, in test cricket? Yeah. Yeah, against India, which was weird because it, was, it wasn't... Um, two balls that would particularly get wickets anywhere else. Just one of those things. Um, I got Gautam Gambier out first. Uh, he hit my first ball for four, and I remember walking back thinking, well, thank God it didn't go for six, <laughs> which I suppose means I'm a glass half full man. Um, and then got him out of third ball, and then Raul Dravid, who I'd never even looked like getting out when I'd played against him before, just missed one. Just a straight, like an average ball that I, can't, I still can't to this day believe that I got him out. But... Um, it just showed to me then the pressure of test cricket and how people play the occasion. And because it's a big thing when you go out to bat and you know a billion people stop work to yeah. watch you. Um, and it's like your whole career's on the line and everyone, you know, you can play the occasion and it can swallow you up with uh, pressure. So I decided that day that I'd treat everything like a holiday and like a big boys' club. And it was great fun. Well, that's what, that's what I have to do with this show. We've got a billion people listening and I, you know, I, I can't let <laughs> yeah. the pressure swallow me up. <laughs> right, we've got to talk about your, your, music, your music list before we play something by the Stone Roses. Uh, so there was a, an honourable mention for Long Time Coming by The Delays. Said it's a brilliant song. Yes. I'm not playing that. It's not very pop. No. Yeah. Uh, Telling Stories by The Charlatans. Saturn Five. I, I've got to say this. You know, yeah. earlier I said about meeting your heroes. I did a, a thing for BBC Radio 5 once in the studio and Tim Burgess and Mark Collins were in there and I was basically like a little schoolboy. I was just giggling and properly gushing all over them. They were, and they're two of the nicest folks I've ever met as well. And I've seen the charlatans probably, I reckon, 50 times throughout my life. And, they, and when they came to Rock City in Nottingham last time, um, he tweeted me or texted me before and saying, I'm coming to Rock City tonight, are you coming down? And then he gave me, I sent like a few of the lines from telling stories back. And so when they were just about to do telling stories, this is telling stories for my man Swanee. Honestly, I've never felt better in my life. Yeah, suddenly Ashes wins. That shout out from Tim Burgess at Rock City, that was the, the highlight of my life. He does sound like a good, good lad as well on Twitter. He's always up for the artists and making yeah. sure they get Yeah, his listening parties are amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you picked Atomic Blondie. Uh, yes. Wide Open Space, Man's Son. 
you picked uh, Come Back to What You Know. Uh, you picked Tatva, Cooler Shaker, Space and Time, The Verve, Munich by Editors, Laid by James, some might say Oasis, uh, and Apply Some Pressure. Is that Maximo Park? Maximo Park. Oh, Ma Maximo Park. I saw Paul Smith on a train once, and I, I was too nervous to go and talk to him because I, I was sitting there thinking, he's so cool, that dude over there. And he was. He's dapper, isn't he? And I thought, you know, he's a bit arty and a bit dapper, and I, I was dressed in, like, tracksuit pants. So I didn't go to talk to him. I still regret it. But yeah, apply some pressure, our velocity, to um, books in boxing. Yeah, books in boxing. Three of the best songs ever written. Well, I saw Strauss on a tube, got a, got a selfie with him. Does that count? Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, Strauss would say hello to anyone. Oh, hello. Hello, Britpop guy. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't introduce myself as Britpop guy. But... <laughs> right, so She Bangs the Drums, The Stone Roses. Why have you picked this? Well, basically, if you don't like The Stone Roses, well, the first album. I like Second Coming as well. I know people slate it, but um, I, I still think that's brilliant. I, I could have easily gone 10 Story Love Song because the lyrics in that are amazing. I love that song. But if, I, if ever I'm revving myself up for a night out and She Bangs the Drums comes on, oh, I just love it. And it's, there's something about like this time of year when it's dark and you're in the car and it's miserable and like you're driving, the streetlights flying past everything. There's something about the sound of the Stone Roses it just makes it enjoyable and makes you, especially being in the north of England and it's raining, it's miserable. It's like, this just feels right. It's, it, it gets absolutely into your blood. Stone Roses are amazing. See, all of the regular listeners now know that there's an elephant in the room that I have to talk, talk to you about. Go on then. I think the Stone Roses are a good band. I think, they, I think they're a, a very good band. I think they're overrated though. Well, everyone has their own opinion. Are you more a Seahorses fan? No, I'm not. I just think, I think with the Stone Roses, everyone's like, oh, you know, it's the, they're just the best thing ever. And I think their first album is great. It's a brilliant first album. One of the best yeah. debut albums ever. But their second album's not even, it's got, it's got some, you know, Love Spreads. It's got some good songs yeah. on it. Love Spreads is awesome. Oh, it's a great and song. And the guitar in that is ridiculous. Great song. Um, but this yeah, singer but, can't but even I, I, sing. Oh, no, I mean... It, live Ian Brown and he's got an absolute crackpot these days hasn't yeah, he and he's into yeah. I don't know he just puts tinfoil on his head doesn't he and thinks the aliens are coming and stuff but bless him he might be right who's to say he's not or he might just still be spaced out from the mid-90s I don't know oh, that's but right. I, I love I, I think that's, that first album I think is amazing alright well let's hear some of it She Bangs the Drums Stone Roses you're listening to the Britpop Show sponsored by Creation Day Festival playing the best and the rest of Britpop
that's it. We've got to the end of the show. I can't believe it. Before, Amazing. Uh, before we do, uh, before we do that, this time of year always reminds me of you, know, you get um, sports personality of the year, and yeah, it's a big thing in my house. So it reminds me of sitting in front of the TV with my dad yeah. when I was growing up watching it, and it's just like, well, this is this is Christmas now. Uh, who, which cricket team, which cricket squad is going to win the team of the year? Uh, test. It's got to be the test team for me, but it'll probably be. The T20. I don't know. Will they just say the England cricket team? No. Just give sure. it to them all. A, a wide sweeping thing. Get, get all of them up there. That's too, um, it's too much. Yeah. Maybe it will be. But we, it will we, be. Won that, we won that one year as a team of the year. And it's brilliant when you go to the event. Um, and you're basically sat surrounded by absolute legends everywhere. And you're just like a lad who played cricket growing up. I remember giggling. Me and Jimmy were sat there giggling away. Um, I think I was next to Steve Cram. Um, Nigel Mansell, <laughs> like, uh, Alan Shearer or whatever, and you're having a drink in the reception afterwards and every group you look at is just an like absolute living legend. We've also said that people said it should have been a two-hour show tonight because you've been such a brilliant guest. So thank you so much, Graham. You'll have to come back, maybe bring Jimmy, show him some proper music. Absolutely, I'd love to. I'll, I'll get in touch with him and, and sort him out. All right, good man. Have a brilliant Christmas. Thank you so much again. For the rest of you, as you all know, see you on the flip side.